Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand gen roles, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week we demystify digital marketing and help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. We'll cover the right plan to get your amazing business growing online, along with tips and tricks from our upcoming playbook, as well as insights from successful people in the industry. If you're in a B2B business and would like to see your marketing work for you, then this is the podcast for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, with the right plan, anyone can grow their business online. Welcome back to the B2B playbook podcast. Kevin, another week of editing out my arms and R's and all sorts of things going on and in my brain and coming out of my mouth that shouldn't make it to the listener's ears. Well, I try and do my best to cut them out, but sometimes you slow your words together and I can't do anything about it. Well, I promise I'm not drunk. Yet. It's all right. It's not that bad. Uh, and it definitely happens to all of us. Um, certainly when I'm editing, I'm cutting out just as much of my arms and ours as I am yours. I can imagine you're a pretty, well, you're a somewhat neurotic person, I would say. And I imagine that you're starting to hear these arms and ours everywhere. You're not wrong there, George. My partner has been working at home, like a lot of people, for the lockdowns here in New South Wales. And when she's on calls with clients, I'm starting to pick up her ums and ahs as she's talking. Oh, no, you are sick. It's definitely grating me. You are a sick, sick puppy. (laughs) (laughs) Too much editing. Not good for the soul, it seems. No, no, and not not good for the relationship. You better hurry up and get married. Lock her down before she realizes the real Kevin. (laughs) I think I think she already knows. She's just given up. <laughs> this week, we're talking about how to build basic visibility online. And it's all about this concept of giving the platforms what they want. I think it's probably easiest to start with an example this week, George. Please kick us off. Now, listeners, you probably know there's an endless number of blogs out there these days. But how many do you actually know or even read? 
Seth Godin is someone we've talked about on the podcast before, and he basically writes just one blog for a living. Well, for the most part. Turns out he's written a lot of books, he's done a lot of great investment, and he's owned businesses and run them in the past for decades of his early career. But everyone really just knows him for his blog these days. That online visibility was purely built from just this one blog. And that blog has made the list in Time Magazine's best blogs out there. Seth is certainly very visible online, isn't he? I would also caution to say that I think really he used all those blogs and just turned them into his books. I'm not sure that there was actually much editing in between them. (laughs) Whatever the process, it's really a testament to how much you can go with just one channel of building that online visibility. But without that active effort of building that channel, his site or whatever he hosted his blog on probably wouldn't be discovered. And that's what this episode is about. Visibility online is important because in order to grow your business, you need to get the message out there and not just sitting on the website. A website by itself is unlikely to get traffic and grow, even when it's really well done. To do this, we look at driving traffic through channels. For our listeners, could you please tell us what a channel is again? Channels is essentially avenues in which you can speak to an audience online. This episode covers an overview of what channels are available to you online and how to think about them to benefit your business and your website, and in turn, your visibility online. It somewhat relates to what we were talking about last week. Traffic exists already on the internet. Your dream customers are already congregating somewhere. How can we get in front of that existing traffic and then redirect some of that traffic back to our own website to show off our own expertise. Is that what we're getting at this episode, Kev? Yes, that's right on the money. Before we really dig into how that process works, it's probably good for us just to discuss why that visibility online is so important and why it's really a separate concept and set of activity to doing the website itself. Are you going to crap on about start with why again? (laughs) It probably will involve a little bit of that, but (laughs) I'll try and get through it fairly quickly for our listeners. Please, please. I think we're so sick of it. (laughs) We all really know that concept already of how it's important to know your why and then show your why, and that should be clear on your website. How to actually do the website, we'll cover in a later episode, but in this episode, It's important to start building communication avenues to your audience and build it off the back of the Dream 100 concept we talked about last week. Maybe we can dig into an example to make this a little more clear for our listeners. Sure thing. One that's familiar to you, George, is one of your customers supplies packaging. In the past, you mentioned that they spent large amounts of money trying to make their website perfect. It was clear with all the relevant information that customers and potential customers might need but it was getting hardly any leads or traffic. Yeah, there's no point in having a very pretty website if no one sees it. What we established that they really needed to do was to start thinking about ways that they can reach their target audience. If you put yourself in my client's shoes, well, their customers are food producers and larger farms. Where do they go? They go to trade shows. Where do they search? They search online for simple things like food packaging supplies. What else are they searching online? Well, pretty often they're looking for content about the latest requirements and legislative standards for food packaging within their respective locations or regions or wherever it is that their farm is. So what did we recommend that they start doing? Well, we thought that they should start producing content that's appropriate for these trade shows 
and to also go to them when they're available and set up stalls at these events. We suggested that they start creating content about packaging standards so they could become the go-to resource for that information. We also got them to serve search ads, so Google ads for food packaging supplier searches. So when people are actually on there, a lot of people wouldn't think these farmers would be jumping on Google when they're looking for new packaging manufacturers, but you'd be so surprised at the volume of inquiries that were happening online from just farmers jumping on and looking for things like food packaging supplies. And they started getting pretty regular traffic and quality leads uh, on their site. Over time, they continued to provide more and more relevant content on really topical issues in the industry, which was based on data from searches and also from talking to customers and sales teams. So something that's increasingly coming into focus is the whole sustainability angle to what they're doing, because a lot of what they do is in plastics. This company in particular have a bit more environmentally friendly way of doing their plastic packaging. And we started working that into their content because that also gives the people who are selling that produce another marketing angle because their packaging is also more sustainable now. So just like this example of George's client, you should start thinking about the principles that we talked about last week about how to reach your dream 100 and in turn your dream customers through helpful content. But let that data lead the way. Find indicators of what interests them. And then there's another step after that. Once you have this understanding of who the dream customers are, who the dream 100 are and what things interest both audiences you also need to understand the channels that you're going to be using in order to get the helpful content you're putting out there in front of them and to get the most out of your efforts all right kevin who are the big dogs in the online marketing channels who have we got Okay, George, uh, it probably doesn't come as any surprise to anyone who's really been even remotely related to the space. Google and Microsoft are two of the biggest online ecosystems when it comes to digital marketing. That is no surprise. And Kevin, you are tipping Apple, aren't you, to start putting their name up there too? I am. I'm, I'm definitely seeing a play there. It's nothing new uh, or a revolutionary idea that I've had. Um, there's a lot of content out there at the moment who speak to why Apple is so focused on the privacy issues that are coming through. They're basically the driving force behind a crusade to protect data rights for users online. But there's probably a bit more of a, a business or financial angle to why they would do that. Before they kicked off all these privacy developments within their products and their ecosystem, they almost had no presence in the digital marketing space. Most of that space was taken up by the likes of Google, Facebook, Microsoft, LinkedIn, and lately TikTok. And what a lot of people in the industry are saying is that using privacy almost as a front, they're able to limit the data that's available to these platforms because of the stickiness and the size of the ecosystem they quickly become the one that has the most data of users when they go online. Now they've started putting out tools that talk to that online data, but at a cost. And over time, as the likes of Google and Facebook concede market share because they don't have as much data to play with. Apple, on the other hand, are gaining more and more data because they're known as the guys who protect that data privacy. And they're in a position to then monetize that data. It all sounds very interesting, Kevin, and a little bit complex. And I think that's why what we're about to get onto is great for our listeners because we're going to teach them how to fish 
and how they can understand any channel that comes up in the next however long and how to leverage it as much as possible. So you don't have to learn like the hacks or the, the five incredible things you have to do to get the most out of this platform, right? If you just understand these principles that we're about to teach you, then you can dominate any channel. Yeah, that's it. And using that fishing analogy further in the digital marketing space, it's almost like you're moving ponds because the fish have run out, but you can still fish in a new pond, whatever ecosystem that comes up next in the digital marketing space, whether that's provided by Apple or whoever's dominant at the time. If you understand how to look at these channels, how to utilize them, then you'll be able to grow your presence online in any ecosystem. Okay, so which two do you want to start with? Well, I thought for this episode, we talk about Google's ecosystem and Microsoft's ecosystem in that order, given that they're probably the dominant ones that people know today. Under Google's online advertising ecosystem, there's a number of channels, as we mentioned before. Search ads and organic search results is one. Then there's display ads, which is the banner ads that follow you around online. You have the ads that you see before YouTube videos, but they also own Gmail. So the ads that you get through Gmail are also from them. Microsoft, on the other hand, own LinkedIn. So any advertising or post on LinkedIn are channels that Microsoft owns. They also have a search function as well. So that's another channel they offer. Ah, uh, yes, Bing. How could we forget about All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Bing. Bing's, it's still called Bing, isn't it? The search function. Because they rebranded the ads to Microsoft ads from Bing ads a while ago. But it is still Bing, isn't it, Kevin? I believe so, yes. I'm still so surprised how many people are using it. Although, do you, do you use it? I don't use it personally. I mean, at my end, I'm in the Apple ecosystem myself. But I know in the States where it's a lot bigger, they have a lot of corporate relationships where they supply the computers and it comes as the default browser. Yeah, I think it's just people who never worked out how to switch over the default browser to Google Chrome. <laughs> okay, so let's have a look at how to understand these channels and how they work. To do this, there's a few simple questions you can ask yourself. First, who owns the channel that you're looking at? What are they trying to accomplish? Who their priority audience is and what they're trying to deliver? Okay, so using Google as an example, well, Google's the owner, aren't they? Well, I guess it's Alphabet now. Yes, that's right. Alphabet is the parent company and therefore the owner. And what's their goal? If you're standing in the shoes of Google, they're always actually trying to give the user or the searcher on Google the information that they need in a way that they want. That's a very benevolent view of Google, Kevin. I guess it plays on their whole don't be evil moniker that they used to have. Yeah, that's right. But also that extends to advertisers in the system. 
because they're rewarded for relevant ads that actually give the users a good experience. So if you want to get the most out of that platform, you have to give a good experience to the end user. Well, it applies to anyone who's trying to get the most out of Google's platform, isn't it? That's their end goal is to help their users get the most relevant information. So SEO is also about helping users do that and Google's algorithms rank websites better that have better information on them, isn't it? That's exactly right. Ultimately, Google is still looking to give the best content to the users based on what they're looking for. I think to summarize this whole concept, think of it as a circular process. Google tries to give a better experience to users. That will equate to more users coming to the platform and more user loyalty, which in turn equates to more revenue that Google can get from that audience and less competition. That reduced competition gives them a better market position and more ability to demand better content from the advertisers, which in itself then again gives better user experience and the cycle starts again. It's a nice cycle that at the end of the day gives them a better product. And if it's a better product, then you're going to have the attention of your users. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's the cycle that you should really focus on in understanding any of these channels. Instead of being pulled into the discussion that's often had when looking at these channels about whether they're evil or they're doing good or they're doing uh, something bad to society in general, the important thing is to realize that it is a business at the end of the day. They need to deliver a good user experience for the return of revenue. So you can now start using that knowledge to your advantage. If you improved your content and narrowed your reach to those for which that content is relevant, Google will start rewarding you with more visibility and reach of your content. But remember that Google will keep pushing you to make better and better content. And they'll push you to channels where you have to pay because they'll have less competition and more leverage over you over time. Google's just finding more and more ways to understand how good your content is. They look at how long people are spending on articles on your site because that's an indicator of the quality. They're looking at how far down they scroll and they're using all that information to make judgments about you and your content and whether it's good enough and should be surfaced more or not. And the same thing applies to most advertising channel owners, Facebook, Microsoft, whatever it is. Even the free channels, they don't stay free for long or they become less effective over time. And that actually leads us to another concept that we always talk about is getting the email addresses of the users and the audience that are coming to you. That way you don't have to use someone else's channel to reach those users. And it builds your brand directly to those users so they come to you directly as well. It's that whole idea of renting versus owning your audience, isn't it? And we've spoken about that before. While you're on someone else's social platform, you're renting their audience and you're getting access to their eyeballs. And when you move them across and grab their email, then you're actually starting to own that audience because you can contact them when you want. And Kevin, while we're talking about how the main goal of these platforms ultimately is to keep attention, often these platforms will release new features in them to try and stop you from going to another platform that has features that some people are really, really enjoying and it's starting to take off. I think an example we've given previously on this podcast is when TikTok really took off, Instagram took a bit of a hit. So Instagram released a feature which kind of simulated what TikTok does called Instagram Reels. 
And if you were an early adopter of Instagram Reels and started creating Reels, they gave you way more organic reach than any other way of posting on Instagram because they wanted to encourage the adoption of Instagram Reels to stop people from going to TikTok. And that same pickup in TikTok also pushed YouTube to put out shorts. So Google is also in the same game. That's right. So give the platforms what they want. You know, if they're they're playing this game and are releasing new features, if it doesn't take too many resources at your end, just try and jump on them because you're going to get a boost in your organic reach from them. The same thing happened when LinkedIn started stories. And if you started doing a story, you you all of a sudden got a whole lot more reach. Mm, Very good point, George. Actually, Kevin, I was just telling you earlier today about how someone released a LinkedIn report and it was 50, pa- 50 pages long and went into analysis of, of how to get the most out of LinkedIn when posting organically. And it looked at so much data and had so many people contribute to it. And at the end of the day, you could have made any of the same conclusions by just thinking, well, what does LinkedIn want? Yeah, of course, three to five hashtags make sense as the perfect amount. Because LinkedIn doesn't want you using hashtags to spam everyone, but they want you to use enough so you can start to build a bit of an idea for them as to what your content is about and share it with the right people. Of course, posts that include a link to your website or to an external source are going to perform way worse than a post that doesn't because LinkedIn doesn't want you taking people away from its platform and going somewhere else. Of course, if someone comments on your post and genuinely engages with it, that that is going to be more effective for your reach than if someone just likes it. And of course, if someone makes a longer comment, that's going to be more effective than just someone writing four or five words. It all just makes sense, doesn't it, Kevin, once you think about LinkedIn's goal? That's right. And with any channel, you can do that. There's always going to be a myriad of channels out there and they're constantly going to be changing. Sure, some of them will help you be seen online, but a lot of them might not be quite right for you. We'll talk more about how to choose the right channel for yourself in the next episode. But to take away a few things from this episode, the first realization is you can't just make a website and let it sit there and hope that it will drive traffic and business for you. You definitely need to work out how to get your brand out there. And it's about engaging in the channels that work for you. And the first step to doing that is analyzing the channels based on who the owners are and what their objective is. Then thinking about who their target audience is that they're trying to serve, and then thinking about how you can utilize that knowledge to your benefit. Again, in the next episode, we'll dig into how exactly to pick the right channels for your business, and which are the common winners for B2B businesses. So next week, Kevin, to be clear, we're going to look at um, how our listeners can practically apply these principles and choose the right channels for them. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that sounds good. I think I might turn up for that one. (laughs) All right, listeners. Thanks for tuning in as always. You can find everything we discussed today in the show notes and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Kevin, for doing the heavy lifting in this podcast. Cheers. Thanks, listeners. Cheers. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook, the easier way to champion your business online.